0: but sharp and iron. This is The Kingdom Project, and I'm your host, Marcus Hall. We're in uh, Hebrews 8 this morning. We finished 7 last week, and now we go through 8. 8 only has 13 verses, so we'll do it all today. And this is about Christ's ministry being supreme to the Old Covenant. All right? And we're seeing this contrast over and over, and it's Christ, the New Covenant, um, and the Old Covenant, and the Mosaic Law, and the Levitical priesthood, and all that. So in chapter 7, we saw that, we started to learn about Melchizedek, and the Melchizedekian priesthood of Jesus, and how it's superior to that of the Levitical priesthood, all right? In chapter 8, the argument is still that superiority uh, of Christ's priesthood, but the argument's a little less direct. It's not maybe as in-depth, you know? It's just a little more simplistic. And uh, the the writer appeals to the covenant on which that priesthood is based, all right? So the the, uh, Aaronic priesthood was grounded upon and regulated by the Mosaic law, the Mosaic covenant... And the priesthood of Christ is grounded upon and regulated by the new covenant, all right? That was not enacted at Sinai, but it was enacted and established at Calvary on the cross, right? So, you know, there's... uh, Just to be clear from something last week when I touched upon the Mosaic Law and uh, saying... uh, How does that apply to us today, and or whatever? Like, and I said it was not binding to us, and the the that's not to say (laughs) Olivia's probably laughing. It's like I don't have to say this. I know there's only there's just a big conversation this week about this, Uh, and I said nobody. You know, the Bible does not uh, divide the law. It's been Christians. Uh, Olivia found out uh, really originally it was uh, the Westminster Confession, which was what, 16? 16, 16 in the 1646 or something like that. Like it was in the mid 1600s. They were prob- probably the first to divide the law up. And so uh, there are many today that say the only part of the law that's been fulfilled would be the ceremonial because Jesus fulfilled that, right? He was the, the, the sacrifice and all that. So the, the moral and the civil law, that's still binding to us today. Um, however, I said the Mosaic, Mosaic, <laughs> the Mosaic law is a unit. You have to have it. James is clear. You break one, you break them all, right? 613 laws. But besides the, having the Mosaic law... You have to have the Levitical priesthood. So if you want to have the law, you got to have a Levitical priesthood. We don't have that, right? Last week, he called them former priests. Who's the priest now? The great high priest is Jesus. So say all that to say that was old covenant transition into a better, more superior uh, covenant, which we'll see today by Jesus. He's the, he's the king. He's the high priest. He was the sacrifice. All fulfilled, right? He fulfilled the law. That's accredited to us among everything else that we've learned, uh, you know, being saints and being holy and righteous uh, in our spiritual standing before the Father. That does not mean that I believe uh, or I'm against law, right? Uh, Or am I against obedience to, to God, which antinomians would say obedience to God is legalism. Uh, so I don't that's not what I was saying but to clarify we are under the law of Christ in the new covenant the law of Christ are the two commands love God with all your heart mind and soul love your neighbor as yourself that encompasses all of the old right if you have been born again right in faith through Christ then you're made a new creation we've seen that right you're a new creation you're you're new. Your mind's being renewed. You're gonna grow in maturity uh, and sanctification and uh, relationship with the Lord. Therefore, you're gonna love law like God's law, as in, do not commit adultery, do not murder, all these types of things. Right? That encompasses it all. If you're following those things in Christ, loving God, loving your neighbor, right? You're you're going to be like, I don't want to do th- these these other things like i don't want to lie i don't want to cheat i don't want to steal so it's not anti-law but a lot of times when people do that as we've when we started galatians i said uh, that that is the most it people could say it's the most antinomian type of of letter that there is and because it's like your dad like no law (laughs) and all that stuff anyway um there's this talk of antinomianism and uh, this week. And, uh, and to be clear, antinomianism, uh, the, the, the clearer definition is people who object obedience to God because they think it's legalism. All right. And then there's like no law whatsoever. It's just a license to do anything that you want to do. But it gets very lost in translation with the grace message. People who preach grace and teach grace, uh, much like I do those people are uh, called names and, and called things too. Uh, Andrew Farley being one of those, which I think he's great. Um, but, you know, I mean, it's not like I don't listen to, but I mean, one of his books I read back 2016, I was like, ah, oh, this is it. It's like, if I would, would have had been able to write a book back then, it would have been that book. It's called God without religion. So it's a great book. Uh, A lot of people that were raised in a mixture of law and grace gets very freed by reading and learning about Jesus and his new covenant. All right. So uh, it's not antinomianism uh, that's coming out here. And most people know that. But I'm just covering it to say that we are looking at the superiority of Christ. Of course, you're going to love God's law and you're going to uh, not want to break Those laws. Now, of course, there's some things like you know, don't eat pork. Like, I mean, that was you know, not for that was not (laughs) you know. There's things like that, like, well, God revealed that to Peter too. Like, all all food is okay and stuff, right? Tattoos. I mean, that's Leviticus 19. Obviously, I have tattoos. So, (laughs) but people used to point that to me all the time. Right here, do not tattoo your body for the dead. For the dead, that's a big different story there. Anyway, I'm rambling so just want to put that out there so as we look at this as i said 13 verses verses 1 through 5 are an introduction okay verse 6 would be the theme of this chapter so 7 through 12 then will give the evidence to support the theme in chapter 6 okay or verse 6 and then verse 13 is the conclusion All right, so instead of reading all 13, I'm just going to read one at a a time, one verse at a time, and then I'm going to read a verse, explain it, go to the next one. So some are going to be like, stop mid-sentence, but I figured this was the easiest way to go through it. That way you don't get lost in, in where we're at in the chapter, okay? So he says, now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. So he is still arguing, right? Christ's superior priesthood that he has been summed up in chapter seven by saying, this is the point, right? That's what he's saying. Now the point in what we're saying, everything from verse seven, last two weeks. Point is this, we have such a, uh, this high priest, right? we have this high priest, all right? The Jewish Christians did not understand this truth as well as they should have. They were looking to go back to the earthly system that they had come out of that had a high priest who was physically present, okay? So his main point is we have a superior high priest. He, and he uses two points to emphasize his superiority. This high priest is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven. He's seated at the right hand of God. And so we have to think of this in terms of the the Jew or the first century Jew. All right. Because they would have thought thought of it in this way. That in their temple, there was a holy of holies. All right. We've talked about this psalm. Do you guys know how the, the temple was constructed outer core inner this basin to wash your hands you have to be cleansed and then go into this holy of holies okay now in that in their temple in that holy of holies that contained the ark the ark of the covenant right which nobody knows where it's at today right i think god destroyed it (laughs) uh it got destroyed in 70 a.d that ark was a symbol of the throne of God, okay? That, that's what it represented. And the high priest could only go in there one time a year, okay? So there's 364 days in the year that you can't go in there. You only go in there one time a year. And then to actually veil it and make it more like, you know, I don't know, mysterious or shrouded in its glory, there was a, a veil that hid it, all right? and it was hiding its symbolic throne from everyone else's view. Nobody else saw it except for that high priest. So it's just that one day of the year that high priest was allowed to enter and for a few moments they would glimpse, take a glimpse of that throne. But never once, not once in all of Israel's history did any high priest ever dream of sitting anywhere near it or let alone on it. But here he says, Christ, Christ has sat down. He is seated, not on some earthly symbol of God's throne, which was the ark, but at the right hand of the actual throne of God. Whereas no Levitical priest ever sat down. Now, we had a sermon one time called The Seated Christ, which has <clears throat> been very popular <laughs> on the podcast. Um, Christ is seated. A Levitical priest could never sit. His work was never done because sins were never being like, done away with Christ has set has taken a seat he is seated right he is seated his work is accomplished the second point then is in verse two all right it says a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up not man okay so he is a minister he's not not as some man made tent okay Uh, this this true tent of the Lord was set up, but it's not some man-made tent, which was only but a shadow of the real thing. This is in heaven. The use of that phrase true tent is actually pointing to the sense of reality now. This truth of which he speaks is not contrasted with falsehood at all, but only with types throughout all of their history that you would get in the Old Testament. The whole Levitical system was a shadow of Jesus. And it illustrated his person and his work that was to come. And this is the reason why John the Baptist, he introduced Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The Jews would have been ready They were ready for an introduction like that because they understood the illustration of the Lamb taking away sins because of that Levitical system. So we see that the Old Testament system, it stands in contrast to Jesus, while at the same time, it has so many similarities, right? And the reason why is because it's pointing to Jesus. All the time. It was all types and shadows, right? It's always pointing to Christ. So the heavenly holy of holies is the reality of which the earthly temple was only a sign, was only a symbol. It is nothing less than the presence of God himself, the actual holy, heavenly holy of holies. That's the presence of God. And it's there as this exalted, reigning high priest that our Lord appears on our behalf that's the main point he's been trying to teach us all through seven we have a superior high priest right in Jesus so you know, Linda asked at the at last last week how's it applicable what how what does this mean all this stuff the Melchizedek stuff what it's pointing to Him being our high priest now, I don't, you and I don't have to go. If you and I get into an altercation, which we never would, (laughs) if we got into a fight, we sinned against one another. We don't have to go get our, our two turtle doves or our lamb or whatever and walk now to the temple to give that to the priest. So he could sacrifice that and cleanse us with blood and tell us to be on our way. And then a day later, we get in a fight again. We have to do it all over again. right? We have a high priest who mediates on our behalf. We can go to the throne of God boldly and approach it, and we can take care of that. We know as a brother and sister in Christ that we could say, sorry, uh, that, that happened. And, and Jesus is now the high priest, and he's the one who, who is able to do that. It no longer has to be physical. It no longer has to be uh, blood shed by animals. It no longer has to be all this ritualistic things that take place in the temple, let alone we'd have to travel all the way to Jerusalem, <laughs> which would be very hard. This now is universal in scope. It's been once for all, which we will see. And that's, that's part of it. That's part of why Jesus is who he is, is that it eliminates all these other things that are types and shadows. All right. So that's the main point that he's been trying to teach us He's far superior than the high priest of the old. He's far superior than the, the actual lamb that would have its neck slit because that's how they did it. Uh, and, uh, he, he's much superior to it all, all right? In the Holy of Holies, God's presence and where he is seat, seated is, is much more superior than an actual building, a temple that has this Holy of Holies that is veiled from everyone else who believes, all right? Verse 3, For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. All right, the high priest is appointed to offer sacrifices. Jesus was no exception to this, but what he offered was himself, right? That was the ultimate sacrifice. So there's two major differences between the priests of the Old Covenant and Jesus. They offered the blood of bulls and goats. He offered his own blood. They offered up their sacrifices repeatedly time and time again, but he did it once and once for all. So that Christ offering is limited to a single once and for all sacrifice is, is indicated by the use of these words, something and offer, right? So getting into the, lang- the, the original language here, to offer is used twice, The first time it is present tense and it means it was a continual activity. In the last use, though, it denotes completed activity. And the stress is that Jesus offered a one-time sacrifice which was able to save the whole world, past, present, and future from sin. That's the point. Verse 4, Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. Jesus was not of the priestly tribe. We've seen this. Jesus serves as a priest in heaven in the true holy of holies, not the physical one that's been destroyed. Verse 4 simply states that Jesus was not qualified under that Mosaic law. All right, And we need to understand that. There are some Christians today who try to bring bits and the pieces of Mosaic law in the Christianity. And we've already talked about that, but they do not understand that if the, that is in force today, and that's another issue, but if that was to be in force today, then Jesus is not qualified to be our priest. Because you have to have the Levitical priesthood. Okay, verse five. They serve, okay, here it is, a copy and shadow of, Types, okay, they serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you, shown you on the mountain. All right. So this tells us that everything involved in the Levitical order was a shadow of the reality. Copy, the word copy refers to to a sign suggestive of something. It's a sketch, an outline. The whole system of priests in the Old Testament was only a copy for the actual real thing that was to come, which is Jesus. And that word shadow, it means silhouette. It's a, The word pattern means a marker, an imprint, imprint. A shadow or a type presupposes a body or substance which casts a shadow. So it, it, they exist only as proof of the fact that there is reality somewhere, right? Go outside, see your shadow. That's a sh- that's just a, a copy, a silhouette of the real thing that's casting the shadow, right? So Moses was sh- apparently he was shown something which was a pattern of the tabernacle, and he is told to do that. verse six, but as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. So this new covenant of which Jesus is mediator is a better covenant because the promises bring brings better things. So to understand this is to understand covenants I and mean, can't really go in depth on those, but in Moses's time, all right, this is, you know, this cutting covenants and an ark of covenant, it's not unique to the Bible. People had arks, all right? Uh, That happened all the time. They actually had an ark. They would take their agreements. So they would come together, put it in this ark, and they'd have copies. Okay, So you would have these people, these leaders, people in charge, emperors, so on. They draw up treaties with their vassal kings is what it's referred to. And this would remind these kings that were subject, right? Subject kings, just who the greater was. Okay, what benefits he has conferred onto them? What behavior was expected from them? Right, and in other words, these treaties spelled out the relationship between a great sovereign and his subjects. Okay, say Tom is a much uh, greater emperor over his land than I am. He wants to come and conquer mine and take all of my people? And I say, no, 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 Like, you're greater, I see that. He draws up this treaty to remind me of why he's better, (laughs) what he expects from me, what he expects us to do, and also, if I break these things, then what I could expect, too. If I go against this, then he's gonna do some of that. He's gonna come and take all the, the crops or whatever, right? He gets a copy. I get a copy. We take our copies back. We put it into our ark. There it is. When people come, well, what's going on? You know, like, why are, why are we subject to Emperor Tom? We say, well, here, look, let's go to the ark and check this out. Here it is. Okay. That's, well, that's what's going on. Okay. So a covenant is a bond. And then you usually would cut these coven, covenants in blood. It could be a bond of life or death, and it's sovereignly administered, okay? So this old covenant, okay, was between God and the Israelites, which defined the relationship between him as their sovereign and them as their subjects, right? So mediator is a common business term in the sense of this arbitrator or a go-between, right? The mediation of Christ is superior to that of Moses because the covenant he brings in operation is enacted upon better promises. Verse 7, For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion to look for a second. Pretty self-explanatory there. When one brings up this subject of changing the law, right, in a conversation with, uh, with a Jew, it causes a problem. It causes a problem with many believers and Christians today as well. When you tell them we're no longer operating under the law, they act as if you're throwing away part of the Bible. They get mad about it. They don't understand it completely. They think they do. They jump conclusions. They do not understand the point of Hebrews 8 here. The Old Covenant has been replaced by a New Covenant. All right. In fact, the Old Covenant itself said there would be a New Covenant. And you can look, I could have made it longer and gave you all those scriptures, but it's there. Verse eight, for for he finds fault with them when he says, behold, the days are coming. Well, here it is. uh, Declares the Lord when I will establish a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. All right. The problem wasn't the covenant though. That's the thing. And that's the thing I probably should say. The law is holy. It's good because it came from God. Right, There's not a problem with the covenant. There's not a problem with God's law. The problem laid with the people. Right, They couldn't keep it. Prophet after prophet would come to them, uh, to Israel and to Judah, recalling the people to covenant loyalty. And the scripture says they hearken not. It was always for a while. They're good. They're serving God. And then they go to idols and they're worshiping other people and they're doing all these things and they go crazy. And then the Lord... Does something to punish them, or kill some, <laughs> and then they repent and they come back and they do good and then they fall back into over and over and over. So the author's going to contrast the two, co- two covenants. The Mosaic covenant is what's called a conditional covenant, the new covenant's unconditional. The difference is that the conditional covenant depended on the faithfulness of the people while the unconditional covenant does not. That sounds weird, but hold on. <laughs> An unconditional covenant depends on no one but God upholding his agreement. Okay? Our faith is a gift from God. It's not my faith. He gave it to me, right? I'm not in covenant with Jesus. I'm not in covenant with God. God and Jesus may come together to make a covenant To give to us. So he's upholding the covenant. There's nothing for me to do to mess it up. Verse 9. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant and so I showed no concern for them declares the Lord. So this tells us that the new covenant is unlike the Mosaic. All right? in, in those areas where it is unlike it, it is better. While the new covenant will, will, will be at a, a radical variance with the old with respect to its effectiveness in accomplishing its goal. It accomplishes its goal. The substance of the two covenants in terms of the redemptive uh, intention is identical. All right. The old was a two party covenant. God had his his part to play. And his conditions to fulfill, the Israelites had theirs. You see that laid out in Exodus, when, when at Sinai and all that, okay? God says, if you, if you will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be a special tre- treasure to me above all people, all right? So to be that ancient Israelite is to have a promise of this great blessing, but it also was to live under these conditions. All right? The problem with that was it was external, okay? It's external. The Mosaic Covenant manifests its distinctiveness as this externalized summation of the will of God. All right? A law has been written, a will has been decreed, but it stands outside of man. And it demands conformity, right? Think of the Sermon on the Mount. What do we refer that to or call that as? Moses 2.0, right? Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount, He's pointing this out. You've heard it say, right? But I say this. And he, what He's doing is saying, you've heard, that, you've heard the external, but I say, look at this, internal, right? Right? The power source was not provided. Okay? The power source of the old was not provided. There were those in the covenant, yeah. They had the faith, right? They had that power. David did. Joshua did. Others as well. But that was provision given by God. And it was beyond the standard provision of that covenant. These were chosen people that he used. But so all Israel had been given the promise of blessing under that condition of obedience. All Israel was given that, but only some had been given the heart enablement, if you will, to obey it. Right? However, most of the Old Covenant members, they were born, they were circumcised, they lived external religion. They went through the motions and they died without ever really having faith, without regeneration. But as I've pointed out, there was always a remnant. There was always a remnant according to God's grace. So the first thing which the New Covenant promised, which the Old Covenant could not was the internalization of God's law and that gracious ability to keep it. And this is what I started off with when I was talking about this being new creations. Verse 10, For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts. And I will be their God and they shall be my people. Okay? 1 Corinthians 2.14 tells us that the natural man's heart is stone, right? That is stone to the things of God. God in the new birth and being born again gives us the power and the inner inclination to obey what we should obey according to his word. Also, in the new covenant, the knowledge... Of God is universal in scope. This is a, an odd verse, but uh, it, it's, it's easy. I'll tell you simply what it means in verse 11. It says, After he says, <clears throat> uh, I should be my people, they, he says, I, They shall not teach. That looks good. Is that how it starts off, Olivia? And they shall not teach. Okay. And they shall not teach. Each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest. Okay, it's a weird like, what do you mean they shall not teach? That's a weird, it's a weird verse, right? So many in the old covenant, they lived under the blessing. Remember I said it was all Israel. They lived under the blessing, but there's only a few, a remnant that were faithful to God. They lived under that blessing and protection of that covenant simply because they were Israelites, right? Because of birth. Many of them did not have faith in God. Evangelism then was actually necessary to them. The verse is simply saying that everyone who are in this new covenant, they're believers already, okay? They have been taught. We we continue to teach them, but you know God. You're in the new covenant, you know God. Right. That's simply what this is saying. And this new covenant also brought complete, full forgiveness of sins. Verse 12, for I will be merciful toward their iniquities and I will I will remember their sins no more. The constant renewal of sacrifices for sins under the old covenant gave clear indication of the fact that sin was not removed. (laughs) It was only passed over. Remember the Passover? Saying that sins would be remembered no more anticipates then the end of that whole sacrificial system of the old, old covenant. Excuse me, All believers will be able to, on a daily basis, have access to God himself through the high priest of Jesus. Whereas the old covenant, only, it could only command a response. The new covenant affects it. Verse 13, in closing, this is what he says. In speaking of a new covenant, he makes the first one obsolete. And what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. Now, here's the issue. That's the conclusion. Uh, The old covenant may be characterized as a promise, as a shadow, or even prophetic. All right? But the new covenant is characterized as fulfillment. All right? It's been fulfilled, it's a reality. It is here, all right? And it says, is becoming obsolete, ready to vanish away, speaking of the Mosaic Covenant, the Old Covenant. Mosaic Law, all of the law, and the priesthood, becoming obsolete, ready to vanish away. This was written (laughs) to first century Hebrew believers. Okay? It, it, In 65 A.D., around then, okay? Hey, guys, it's becoming obsolete. It's growing old. It's ready to vanish away. Okay, so... Do we say say that now, 2,000 years later? Old Covenant's about to vanish away. No, it's vanished away now. It's done. Okay? That's what you have to remember, audience relevance, all right? The Old Covenant... At the time they were received, had received this letter, the Old Covenant had not yet become obsolete, but it was about to. All right? Now, is it just a coincidence? I don't think it is, because the Lord wrote the Bible, right? That the Bible speaks of the passing away of earth and heavens and, and all that stuff using the same language to make worn out or declare obsolete. We saw this in chapter 1 of the heavens and the earth, and now here it is about the old covenant. The same language. It's, that's gone. It's vanished away. So we need to remember that. So all of this then, all of this has been written to say we have a superior high priest. It's a better covenant, better promises, and it's all dependent on God and Christ. And it's been fulfilled, it is enacted, and this is the reality has come. All those types, all those shadows are gone. And that's the point. Any questions, comments, disagreements?
1: Serving God, falling away, doing fine. And just how when we don't have that understanding of the new covenant, of the of because that's how I lived, you know, in a no immature right. state too, because I didn't understand covenant. I didn't understand the law of grace. I didn't understand these things. I had no grasp, you know, and then when I walk you know you're like oh man i've been messing up i haven't been reading my bible i haven't been feeling this way i've been doing these things i haven't you know mm-hmm. and you have that mindset right you know and, and you go back and you repent and you do good again and then, you know and it's just like you're stuck in that vicious cycle mm-hmm. but coming into the understanding of it's nothing i do it's nothing you know like it's such a secure place and it's such mm-hmm. a place of I want to serve, I want to learn, you know, and that's where it comes, instead of trying to please God, you know, it's done, <laughs> you it's know, done. So yes. it's just like, it's just that immature thinking too, and so many of us get stuck in those mm-hmm. religious works and those things that we think that we need to be doing that, that is preserving our salvation, when in reality, none of it is, no. which, but that kind of plays in with the new, with the, the quote unquote moral things we have to do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still that mentality of, I have to do these things to stay here. But it's like, no, you don't. And We get so afraid of, well, if I stop doing this, is God going to be pleased? If I stop doing, you know, but just that what I'm trying to say is just, we have so many of those things, you know, and as your mind's renewed and you come into the security of your salvation and the work that is finished, right. it's such a freeing place. And you are free to obey. You are free to live under that.
0: Yes. Yeah. And you don't take it for granted, yes. as some people would say. Well, that's greasy. You that's sloppy grace. Know, I do not right.
1: I, knowing that, I do. I want to serve. <laughs> You're going to be sorry. No. <laughs> I want to. Yes. Read. I want to that's... read. I want to learn. But it's not out of a place of compulsion. Right. I don't want to have you know covet. My neighbors, say I don't want you know because I know that this is not in line with his
0: grace and his goodness, exactly. And the thing you know, that's what so I'm trying to say is like people say, Oh, well, then you you get to a to a complacent mindset, then of I, of, of of well, that's just all taken care live, of, yeah, yeah no, that's just no big deal now. My new no, creation, no, like you my are, new nature, I am a new creation right. in Christ, it, I have a
1: new nature that does not agree, right? If I were to. If I were to follow away, if I were to start, you know, whatever Ten Commandment that you know I chose mm-hmm. that day, you know, to go against, <laughs> right? My new it, it nature doesn't, doesn't, like doesn't like agree it. with that. No, my new nature doesn't like that. Right. And so the Holy Spirit's going to be there <laughs> because it's in your mind and written on your heart, right. and the Holy Spirit convicts you it of it. Right. It doesn't work. Right. It doesn't. Sin does not agree with a Christian, a no. truly saved person does not agree
0: with sin. Right. And it is there, and it is guiding and. And when it does still happen, right, there's, uh, there's (laughs) you just, you can't rest. There's no no rest. You're not resting in grace. Doesn't mean you've backslid. Doesn't mean you've lost your salvation. But you know, because of God's word and because of the Holy Spirit, that you have sinned. And that is out of character, as you said, with who you are as a new creation. And it doesn't agree. And... You know, But there's many because they reject salvation being eternally secure, mm-hmm. right? right? They think you can lose your salvation. They think that you have to maintain, you have to do these things mm-hmm. that reject everything that would you say. And that's why you're in the cycle of, you know, how many times have we been, you know, I mean, you and I, we, when I say we, that and then how many times have all of you even probably... Been you know, you know, the people that's not been at church for two months, then they show up and you know when they show up, oh, they're going to be up at the altar now crying and we're going to be over 30 minutes today. Right. <laughs> no, really, And no, I mean, but you, you learn the pattern. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You live in the pattern, but you see it, the pattern in the others, too. Right. And because you've been gone, because you've been out, because you, you went and done whatever. Then when you come back, you think you have to go to the altar. And you have, now, I'm not saying you don't repent. You don't confess. You do, we do these things still. But they think they were t- out of relationship. Like totally out in the darkness again. But they weren't. You know, that's, but it's much like the Israelites. It, that's gone now because of what it's all been dependent. It's all dependent on Christ and what he's done. His obedience... His faith is what has us in the position that we are in now in Him, and has you uh, to to, for you to even to uh, to articulate the way you did just then. Even Mm -hmm. you know if you were to have to tell people, that's the way you do it.